Hi, thanks for joining us for this message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. We pray that you are blessed by it. If you'd like to know more about Red Church and its ministries, or if you'd like to support us financially, you can find out more by heading to redchurch.org.au. We're going to dive into things. And why are we doing that? We're doing it because, as Daniel also said, we are a church who loves Jesus and we follow him passionately and we believe in the power of the gospel. And this gospel is significant, whether you're just beginning to understand it or know it. This gospel is significant because it brings transformation and life. It teaches us how to love others and love God. It confronts us and challenges us. And so we're probably going to sit more on that end today of how the gospel challenges us and how Jesus does. But he does it because he loves us and he wants us to live in eternal life and the life that he made possible through his death. So I'm going to talk about money. And it's important. I'm going to talk about finances, money, and generosity. It's important because Jesus taught a lot on this topic. Nearly half of his teaching is on it. Or there's references to it. There's imagery in the Gospels all through the Gospels. You'll find it. And why? Because he knows it's really important how we relate to money. Why would he bother spending so much time on it? He loves us. And so he wants us to be like, guys, I want you to be free of being caught up in what money can do and what it represents. And so I'm going to teach you in all these different ways and bring you back to the truth time and again. And so as a team and as a church, it would be doing a disservice if we didn't talk about it, if we didn't wrestle with it, if we didn't explore it. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to do it together in a couple of different ways. We're going to hear some testimony. We're going to look at some scripture. And we're just going to be honest with ourselves as well. And can I say... Preparing for this message, woo! Holy Spirit has done some very kind conviction. I'll just be clear on that as well. Holy Spirit may convict you in this. And conviction is different to condemnation. Conviction brings life. He's saying, choose another way. I want to show you the way of life. Don't walk in that direction anymore. Walk towards God because he is good. And so he brings these things up so that we can bring them before God, repent, seek healing, and live in more freedom and truth. So this is why we're going to talk about it. So our context financially has been shared, but let's, let's go bigger. Let's go broader. What's going on in this time? We talk about renewal a lot because we're excited and we're seeing the beginnings of it. But what are we talking about when we mean renewal? Well, renewal and revival, some of those words are interchangeable. What does it mean to revive something? It was dead or is dead, and you revive it back to life. So if you're looking broadly across the church in the West, People are saying the church is in decline. And there are some facts and data that would suggest that that's the case. But actually, if you look historically, when the church is in decline, God brings renewal and revival. It's kind of like Pentecost happens over and over again. You know, Holy Spirit comes and the church is birthed and sent out. That's what renewal is like. You'll see it always looks like Pentecost. There's always similarities to Pentecost. That's what God's doing. We're seeing the beginnings of that. And so although people may say, oh, the church in the West is dying, God looks at that and says, no, watch. I'm about to revive and renew it. This is when I will come and do that. You are a part of this generation. That's going to happen. And renewal happens in you and in us as a people. It doesn't happen in this weird other space. It's in you. It's in me. It's in us collectively as a generation of people who are following God at this time. And so what does it look like for us to ask for renewal and be shaped to receive it and live that out? That's what we're doing. That's a bigger perspective. 
It's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And what does it do? It restores us as the people of God to normal spiritual life. What we read in the Gospels can be true and is true now because we follow a God who is alive. Jesus rose. He's still doing the same stuff. He sent Holy Spirit to do it. So why aren't we seeing it? And don't we want to see it? People returning, family members coming back to know Jesus, freedom from addiction, healing, transformation in people's lives. We are desperate to see that. And so we're asking, God, come and renew us. And the thing is, God loves us so much. He loves us so much. You go to the nth degree. He sent his son to make it possible to restore every part of you. There is nothing that is untouched in our lives that he's like, I want to go after that, whether it's relationship, whether it's finance, whether it's generosity, whether it's home, family, whatever category, God's like, I want to speak my life into that. And so can I be honest? As we ask for renewal, it kind of makes sense. The Holy Spirit's like, all right, Red Church, we're going to talk about um, generosity. It's time to renew that. And that's a little bit uncomfortable. That's okay. But do you know what? I think it's really significant because I can also be honest. I feel like we're a bit poor in spirit here. I think our wealth blinds us a little bit. I totally felt that looking at this topic. And I think we're missing out on the joy of the kingdom and part of the kingdom. We're not seeing it. And I really want to see it. I think as a church we do and as a people we do. We want to know that part of God. And so before I continue on, I wonder if you would join me in kind of admitting that. Absolutely no pressure. But asking Holy Spirit, hey, I actually really want to be awakened in this. Show me where I'm blind. Show me where I'm poor in spirit in this. I want to believe in you. And I want revelation in this. And so I'm actually just going to pray right now and invite you to join me if you feel comfortable. Whatever that looks like. Eyes closed, eyes open, stand, sit, hands open. And let's just ask Holy Spirit to do that. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're already here. I thank you that you love to dwell with us, in us, and unite us. And I just ask right now that you would remind us of the generous God that we follow and that you would renew in us the calling to be a people of generosity. Would you reveal and remove scales where we are blind? Would you convict in your beautiful and kind way and lead us into truth and life? May you speak to us. And Lord Jesus, we stand and we say thank you for what you've done and we come before you and we repent of the ways that we have taken control in this. I thank you for your love and mercy and that they're new every morning. And so this morning we come before you and we say we want to choose another way. Awaken us, lead us, transform us to be a people of generosity. 
thank you that you are good. And may this always be for your name and your glory and your kingdom. Amen. I encourage you to just stay open to what Holy Spirit might want to do this morning. And even the rest of today, he'll probably speak to you or prompt you. So keep an ear out for that. All right. Should we look at some scripture? Yeah, let's do that. So we're going to go to 2 Corinthians, uh, New Testament. Um, So Jesus, we have the Gospels and we've got the writings. Um, So there's a lot of letters Paul has written, this letter. Paul is a great guy. He's encountered Jesus in Jerusalem, completely transformed by the presence of Jesus. And he's a great leader. He's also just like super social. He knows everyone. Paul is just friends with everyone. It feels that way. He's always writing letters. So you've got letters to the Thessalonians, the Corinthians, the Romans. He's that guy that's just kind of traveled around. So he's come out of Jerusalem, be transformed by the story and the power of Jesus of Nazareth. And now he's sending letters to different churches he's already visited to encourage them. who are following the way, following Jesus. This is only a couple of decades after Jesus' death and resurrection. And so we're looking at a letter that's written to the you know, church in Corinth. Now, Corinth was a very wealthy city. It was a port city. Um, And Paul had written to them prior, and he has a a bit of a relationship with them. I I love the way that Tim Mackey describes describes this. He says, whenever you're reading a letter written by Paul, you have to imagine almost like you're in the car with someone and they answer the phone, and you only hear one side of the conversation. But the whole time you're trying to work out who it is. Just like, who, who are they talking? Oh, they're really nice. They're quite kind there. Maybe it's, maybe it's their uh, partner. Or like, yeah, they're a bit awkward and very formal. Maybe it was their parents. Who knows? Anyway, you sit there being like, oh, I wonder who they're chatting to. Trying to work it out. So we kind of come at it at that. There's this long history between Paul and these different churches. And so let's have a little bit of context of what, you know, who's on the other end. Essentially, the church in Jerusalem, they're not doing too great. There's a famine currently in Jerusalem and um, in that part of Israel, and the church was really struggling with poverty and having enough to feed um, their community and support and to keep the church alive. And so Paul says, friends, Corinth, Romans, Macedonians, hey, I'm writing to you because our church in Jerusalem, the church where, you know, this faith that we follow was birthed, they're in trouble. Let's help them. Gather some funds, whatever you have, and let's give to this church so that they may survive and that they may continue to teach the gospel because we wouldn't even know it without them, right? Let's do it. Let's, let's raise some funds. So he said this to a bunch of churches. He said it to Corinth. And unfortunately, this wonderful little church has forgotten. And so he's popping over to be like, guys, I'm coming around. I just want to let you know and remind you, we had a bit of a chat about those finances and I don't want to turn up and nothing's happened. So here's a little letter just to remind you. So that's some context. It's a very Brit version, but, you know, it's, it's in there. And so he comes to them, and I think what's really significant is Paul doesn't come and, again, Tim Mackey says, pull rank. He's got some authority. He was a Pharisee, he's a teacher, he's encountered Jesus. He could just turn up and be like, what are you guys doing? Why aren't you giving money? I told you to do it, I'm here, come on. He doesn't, though, does he? He tells a story about others. And he speaks of the generosity of another community. I think it's really powerful. It's a really significant way to to explore this. And so let's read it together. I'm going to pull out a little bit, but there's some context there. And it's just really really good to kind of enter it with that in mind. So we're looking at 2 Corinthians 8, 1 to 9. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know 
about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Excuse me? What an interesting sentence. Let's read it again. In the midst of very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. This is not the church that you expect to turn up with a bunch of money. They are struggling, and yet they have been so transformed by this gospel, their response is like, of course. It becomes rich generosity. They are redefining what is poor and what is rich. They are seeking and speaking of the kingdom. He goes on, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able. And then he's like, wait, not even. Even beyond their ability. This isn't them going like, okay, I'll give my like 5% or maybe 10%. Or, oh, no, actually, we give all we have. And do you know what? We're actually going to leave the gap, but we trust God will fill it because we believe in his message and this church needs to survive. And we are so thankful for what God's done. Onwards. Entirely on their own, he says. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. What a different perspective, hey? And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. It's a real opportunity here to redefine our understanding of what is rich and what is poor. I love the words used in here, and I think there's something that's really significant to this. The Macedonians show something so powerful. They're overflowing joy out of severe trial and struggle, that they gave themselves first to God. Thank you, God, for who you are. Thank you that you love me and save me, and in that grace I now give that out. And it's funny, when you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, the word that is used the most is this word in Greek, charis. Paul is really pointing this out. And it's the Greek word for grace. We talk about it so many times. And in the Bible, when something's repeated, it's because the writer's like, I really want you to get this. I really want you to understand. Please take note. And also in our English language, sometimes we can miss out on things because this word charis is actually very rich. And we translate it in multiple ways. So yes, it's the Greek word for grace. And so as we look at this passage, what Paul's talking about is actually a grace-fueled giving. That's what he's saying. Grace that is driven giving. A biblical scholar, some I was reading, said, sacrificial giving is measured not by what is given, but by what remains. Grace. And so this word, as you look at it, as it's got many meanings, the first one is gift. 
Charis can also be translated as gift. When you give a gift to someone at a party or at an event, you don't expect to get one in return. It's unwarranted. It's a gift. It's an act of grace. So Charis can, Charis, sorry, can be um, translated as gift. The second one is forgiveness. Forgiveness. When we're in relational conflict with someone and they may have wronged us, sometimes our humanity wants to sort it out ourselves or retaliate. But actually, what are we asked to do? We're asked to act in grace towards them and forgive them. We give them grace, undeserved. Forgiveness. Final definition for Karis is generosity. When you are generous towards someone or a people or an organization, it's actually an act of grace. They possibly haven't earned it. You're giving it without any expectation of return. It comes from an overflow of your life. Have you ever linked generosity and grace? I had not. I think that's significant. And this is what Paul's getting at. The Macedonians are so generous because they've encountered the grace and the power of Jesus. And so their generosity is fueled by grace and love. And that's what they give from. He repeats it throughout this text. If you look at the Greek, charis comes up over and over again. Grace, grace. This is actually what's meant to mark us as the people of God. Grace is a powerful thing. And do you know when we understand it more, or when it has its greatest effect? It's this unusual concept and this powerful spiritual thing and a physical act of what Jesus did. But it only really makes sense to us when we realize our need. And the Macedonians, as you read about them, they definitely were in need. They were struggling. They acknowledged God's grace and experienced it in a particular way. You know, as I was preparing for this message, someone told me a story. Um, as a child, they used to travel with their parents. Um, they were part of a Salvos community, and they would do the Red Shield appeal, and so they would travel around to get donations. So turn up to people's houses, knock on the door, and just ask for donations to the Red Shield appeal. And they would go across Melbourne, so different um, parts of Melbourne, and they would ask for money. And um, they reflected that their parents noticed a trend and they said that when they would go to some of the outer suburbs, quite far out of Melbourne or particular parts of Melbourne, people were so generous. They'd turn up, it's a random call on your door, and they would just give abundantly, being like, oh, of course. Of course I would give. And then they noticed this other trend, that they'd end up in another part of Melbourne, possibly the eastern suburbs, possibly somewhat close to the city. And do you know what? It really was quite different. They'd try and find some loose change on the console table just in the hall. Or be like, oh, yeah, man, I, I might have a couple of dollars. They were shocked by the difference. And I say it carefully, but it's a reflection, isn't it? Somewhat. As if you've known need, if you've had a gap in your life and you've seen someone support you and love you in it and come towards you in that, you recognize when someone asks that of you, out of grace, out of the power of grace, you go, of course, I will give. But you need to have known your need and to have allowed God to fill that. Friends, I think sometimes our wealth blinds us, that we're not in need, but we are.
there's an opportunity to redefine our perspective of what rich and poor is. To know God's grace in a whole new way. And to not only know it, but to live as people of grace and to offer that to others. Do you know, one of the most revealing ways to understand where your values are or where your heart is, is to look at where you spend your money. If I spent a week with you, I'd probably get a pretty clear indication of where your heart's at and where your values are. What does Jesus say? For where your treasure is, that your heart will be also. There's a reason he wants to talk about this. It can have a hold in us. And no matter how much we may say it, again, it reveals what we actually trust and believe in. And so Jesus was bold in this. And so I want to share a parable he told in the Gospel of Luke. Let's look at it together. Remember, this gospel has the power to confront, heal, and transform. And so let's approach it in that way. This is the parable about the rich, young ruler. Let's read. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Always love this part. Said it earlier, but I think it's funny. Someone being like, Jesus, can you help me out with my family dynamic? It's a bit weird. But if you say it, maybe it'll change. Imagine. Anyway, I think it's funny. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in, the, in an abundance of possessions. And then he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. This is a confronting parable. Why? Because, friends, we are the rich, young rulers. What does our culture tell us? You need to be financially independent. You need to save up. Hey, don't forget to fill that, um, what's it called? Super fund. Get that boosted. You've got to prepare for the future. Make sure you've got your savings all in alignment so that you can live that comfortable life and to prepare for where it's headed. You're in control, so fill those bank accounts. Don't forget to do some investments. Make sure it kind of boosts up your numbers. Yeah? This is what we're told. And can I just say, it's good to be good stewards of our money. Yeah, you need to take care of yourself and your family, whatever that looks like. I hear that. But there is an obsession we have in this culture with it. And we waste time and energy, and there's anxiety around it because it's like, well, I've got to prepare myself for my future. I'm in control, right? I need to build a bigger barn. But God said to him, you fool. Let's not be <laughs> the rich young ruler. Let's trust in a God who will provide. Can I give you some facts to just really sit on this a little bit more? 
You ready? Thank you. Yeah, I'm ready. I read this and was like, oh my goodness. So, some stats. This is from a book um, called The Barefoot Disciple, Intentional and Hilarious. And guess what? He's coming next week to chat to you. Genuinely. He's going to be here. For sure. Like, for real. It's going to be great. Um, so, he's going to talk more facts. But I was reading this book, and he talks about this website called givewhatyoucan.org. If you go to this website, <laughs> it's like under the frequently asked questions, you can press a button that says, how rich am I? And then you put in your data of what your income is, and it'll tell you in comparison to the current like, global circumstances. So he did this, and um, here's some facts for us. As an adult without dependents, so you, know, you need to alter this slightly for your context. In general, there's so many different people in this room, and we represent different things, but so let's stay with the general here. Um, if you're working full time and earning the minimum wage in Australia, I'm going to tell you what the minimum wage is. So this is the data on that. So in 2022, the Australian full-time minimum wage after tax is 37,500. So if you're earning that or more, you are in the top 10% of the world. What does that mean? So the minimum wage in Australia, if you earn that or more, you're richer than 90%. 90% of people living today. We are the rich, young ruler in this parable. I don't say this to shame you or to... You know what? Yeah, no other agenda. I'm here because I felt and we feel prompted to talk about it. Holy Spirit's here to convict us. And what a gift that we live in a country that we have the capacity to live this way. But also God provided enough. There is enough resources in the world for everyone. And so what does it look like when we have so much resource? What do we do with that? How do we offer it to others that do not? We're in the top 10%, everyone. Wow. And so next week, his name's Joel Frank. He's going to talk to us about it. If you're a practical person, I loved reading this book because I'm like, right, I feel hugely convicted after hearing those stats. How do I do this? What does it look like to still take care of myself, but also to invest in the kingdom, to be a person of grace and generosity? How do I do that? What are the facts? How do I spend my time? He even does, if you've read Barefoot Investor, he even does buckets. He does it. It's going to be great. It's going to be really good. So we're going to look at that. Let's be practical. Because you know what? The reality is we won't change if we kind of just like, oh, well, this is interesting. Why? Because we live, one, in a very consumer culture. Let's be real. We do. How many times have we updated our phones in the last few years? Have we really needed to? Just being real. It's the ocean we swim in, in the West. <laughs> Can't believe we just did that. Anyway. <laughs> but yeah, we can blame the culture. We can. But the reality is, as it says in Ephesians 6, our fight is not against flesh and blood. It's against the spiritual forces. And what underlines our consumer culture is a lie. It's the scarcity mentality. We have been deceived by the enemy. When did it begin? 
Genesis. Is God really trustworthy? Adam and Eve, can you trust him? Has he really has he told you everything? Will he actually provide for you if you let go of all your finances? Will he? You better just keep a little bit. This is what the enemy does. This is what marketers feed off. It began in Genesis. And why do I bring this up? Because it requires a concerted effort for us to change. But we are called to, to live as disciples of Jesus, to be a people of generosity, and there is a way to do that. And do you know what else? Jesus has overcome all lies and death and darkness. So not only is it a choice you get to make, but you're empowered by the Holy Spirit to live it out. So we can do this, and it is good. And there's many ways. Jesus lived in this example. He chose to live with a vision of God's beautiful and generous creation to understand that in a new way, to see the world in that way. And he lived in poverty. He grew up in Nazareth. There's a reason that they joke about it in the Bible because it was the back town. There was no money there or influence. He knows what it's like to live in poverty. But he also knows the abundant kingdom of God. And as it said in that Corinthians passage, he made himself poor. He had the richness of being with God in God's presence. And he came down to be poor so that we through his poverty, might become rich. So what am I talking about here? Yeah, there's a financial and a practical element. But what I'm really talking about is our heart and our belief and who God is and what he's done and who we are because of that. That's really what I'm speaking to. And the crazy thing is God is so generous, right? He, he builds creation so that we can enjoy his presence and creation. Things don't go so well, we know. But then he sends Jesus more generosity, as Trudy said, that classic passage in John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son. And he wants to do more of that in your life. He sent Holy Spirit to keep you aware and growing in his generosity. Isn't that outrageous? He's still up to that. He's still like, actually, I want to show you my generosity in a new way. I can't wait to show you. That's what it feels like with him. He's like, ask me. Come on, almost like I dare you. But the thing is, friends, we're asking, aren't we? In renewal, that's what we're doing. Hey, God, we want to see you. We want to know your kingdom in new ways. We want you to come. We want to extend your kingdom. We know that comes to your power. So please come, Holy Spirit. And I think that's good. We're asking him to move. God, move in this time. But as I sat with this more, I realized it's really hard to move when you don't give someone space. Are we going to give him space? Not just in our finances, but all of our lives. God, come and move and here's space to do so. Here's space to answer it however you want, provision. Here, I want to give you the space, God. I believe that's what he's asking of us. And the thing is, when we give him space, when we leave those gaps open, how he answers and the outcome, not our concern. That's his work. What's ours? Trust. That's what we're called to. From the beginning in Genesis, throughout the Bible, to now. Remember, it always comes back to trust and love with God. So, I'm going to invite Mish up. She's going to share some testimony about what it looks like to make some space. I mean, she's been led in that before. So, Mish, come on up and please share your story. Why don't you welcome her? Yeah. Hi, family. 
Um, I'm Mish. I moved back to Australia in 2020. Yes, March. Yes, Melbourne. I know what you're thinking. Good choices. Good timing. Um, I have been at Red now for a year. So April is my one-year anniversary with you. And it's good to be here. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Red. Thank you, Jesus. Um, so let's just... Like, we, we serve a good God, and he is full of provision and grace. And I just want to pray a little bit just before I share this with you, because I'm excited, but I want the right words to come out. So would you just do that with me right now? Lord God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your presence. We thank you that you're with us. And we know that, God, there is no sacrifice that you are not worthy of. And so right now, I just bring this story before you. And may it honour you. May it give you glory. Uh, we thank you for your grace and your goodness today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being with me on that. Um, so, the church I grew up in on the Gold Coast, I became a youth leader. And um, we had a couple of hundred kids that would come on a Friday night. I had a team of about 10 people. And we were doing something that we'd never done before, which was we called a miracle offering. Very penty, I think. <laughs> Um, am I right? Yes. Um, <laughs> love it. Don't worry. Love it. Um, so I said to my team, look, we're probably the roof of their faith. You know, the, the kids, the young people are probably not going to do far beyond what we, what they see us doing, saying, praying, believing in, you know. So I'm not giving you an amount. I'm not telling you to do something specific. I'm just saying you bring it to God and God will speak to you about what you're meant to give. Uh, and I did the same for myself. So I'm, I was thinking, you know, I have this amount. You know, it's good, it's humble. But it's, a, it's what I thought in my head, mostly in my flesh looking back now. And, you know, that was a Friday night and there was anticipation in the room. Everyone was excited because we had no idea really what we were doing and what God was going to do. But it was electric. It was exciting. And I walked through the doors and this just fell into my spirit. You should clean out your savings account. And I was like, sorry, what? Did someone else hear that? Was that me? Um, surely not. Uh, so that's what I did. That's what I did that night. That was not the plan. You know, I wasn't one of those um, young Christians who was waiting for the opportunity to give away everything that I had. Um, it wasn't, you know, when they do the loophole about the young guy, Jesus says give everything away, but it's not for everyone. And I'm like, yeah, it's not for everyone. <laughs> Um, but there I am doing that. So um, that was Friday night, just in obedience. And it was just me and the youth pastor who knew that was it. So come Sunday, church. Sunday night was the young people service. And I was at the front sitting there with my sister. And uh, Jez, our youth pastor, was preaching. And it wasn't really anything to do with what was going on internally with me. But he said, I do remember he put out this kind of challenge you know, are you in God's will for your life right now? Let's get out your diary, your phone, however you write things down, your appointments, and let's just cross off anything you think that's not of God and replace it with what is. So I got, I had a physical diary, which I still do now, and I just thought, oh yeah, like this leadership thing, and I'm running a cell group, I'm working full time, rehearsing for this show, like good things, right? So I thought, I don't need a Good, good job, Mish. You're doing well. Uh, and then um, he was praying, you know, and it, again, it was just not relevant to what the Holy Spirit was doing in me, but dropped into my spirit right in the middle of this prayer. You need to resign tomorrow. 
And I was, <laughs> I started laughing in the middle of the prayer at the front of the church. And my sister, she's, are you okay? What's up? And she knew, you know, I said, I think the Holy Spirit just said I should resign tomorrow. Then she started laughing because she knew I'd just given away all my money on Friday. Um, so I did it. I I mean, okay, let's not skip too far ahead. I did come up for prayer because I thought that is what's necessary right now. Um, am I thinking clearly? <laughs> so I came up the front. I asked for prayer. It was interesting in itself because the pastor that prayed for me, amazing man, but he kind of did say, look, I'm not sure that God would tell you to do that if he didn't have another job lined up for you already. And I said, look, also, I didn't, I don't think I told myself I should quit my job and just after I've given away everything. <laughs> That's not really logical. It's not something I normally do. Um, you know, so it was this, just this interesting time because the church, people's responses within the community of something like that, it does kind of uh, confront some people, you know. And because I had a standing in leadership within the church, some adults, some parents, some leadership were like, that's just actually not really responsible of you. And then other people that you would just never expect were so excited, like, what's God going to do next? Like, I can't wait to hear the stories. Make sure you keep me updated, you know. So to see all that was very fascinating. But what God was doing in me was incredible. You know, provision would come. I still had bills. I still had car payments. I still had rent to pay. Uh, and things would just turn up. For example, we had an itinerant speaker at our church and, you know, a few hundred people in the room and I'm down the back with the young people. He calls me out of the congregation, calls me out the front, gives me three 20s out of his wallet, like 60 bucks. And he's like, God told me to give this to you. And I was like, okay, thanks, bye. And I just go back to my seat. And because all I was wanting was petrol for where God was wanting me to go. You know, the church would be like, hey, can you hang out with this older lady? She needs someone to have lunch with. She's lonely. And I was going into um, state schools and doing some programs in their lunch times. Like there was good things going on, but I was still on my knees going, God, what are you going to do? Because this bill's coming in. This thing's going to happen. Like I still, I actually am in a place where I really need you to do something. And I know that God is not going to reach down his giant, beautiful hand and just give me some cash. Like he works through people, you know, and this relies on us. This is an opportunity for us, you know, and that's exciting when it comes to our faith. Like what a privilege to be part of these God stories, you know, to look back and reflect on what God's doing. It's incredible. So I, I, one other thing that I will share in that time is that I was sitting having lunch with a friend and she was paying for it because she knew my situation. Most people in the church did. But I, I had this fleeting thought of like, if you just give me the money that this one meal costs, I can feed myself for a week. The Holy Spirit straight away was like, I'm providing for today and that's what you need. And it was just like the slap in, a fa in the face that I needed, <laughs> you know. Um, so we have opportunities to allow God this space, this capacity of our faith. You know, we've all got a portion of faith, but if we're not actually there going, okay, I need a, this is going to be scary. Like, where is faith if we're not doing something like that? And we know that it is impossible to please God without our faith. This is our sacrifice. This is our living offering. And this is what we can bring to God. So I will leave it there. That's great. Thanks, Mish. Please thank her. Yeah.
Ah, so good. God is faithful. This is just one story, right? There are so many other stories possibly in the room. And I would like to say there's more to come. God's going to turn up when we give him space and let him answer how he wants and trust that. And as Mish said, it's not like she was like, well, this feels easy. I had the one word and I'm good. No, like daily. God, I trust you in, there's a gap there, but the grace and the way that provides becomes even more beautiful because you were in that place. It's knowing your need, receiving the grace and then offering and passing that on, right? So I'm going to finish by sharing a... uh, a quote by Henry and Richard Blackaby. I think it just kind of sums up what we've been looking at, where we're at as a church, where we're headed, what God's inviting us into. So it says, when God invites you to join him in his work, he presents a God-sized assignment he wants to accomplish. It will be obvious you can't do it on your own. If God doesn't help you, you will fail. This is the crisis point at which many people decide not to follow what they sense God is leading them to do. Then they wonder why they do not experience God's presence, power, and activity the same way Christians, the same some Christians do. The word crisis comes from the Greek word that means decisions. This crisis is not a disaster or a bad thing. It is a turning point of a turning point or a fork in the road that calls for a decision. You must decide what you believe about God. Red Church, family, where we are at right now, what God's doing, that promise of renewal, of his spirit coming. I believe the question he's asking us is what do we decide? Like, what's our decision? Do we decide? What do we believe about God? What do we want to believe about God? that he is good, that he is trustworthy, that he will fulfill, that he will answer, that we, as we leave room, he will turn up as we make space for him. Red Church, we need to decide about what we believe about God. Why don't you stand as I finish? Let's pray. Let's pray into this. Let's be bold. I'm going to invite you, if you feel open to, there is no pressure here, but to basically ask that question, God, what do I want to believe about who you are? And also, where are you asking me to make space? I want to make space so you can move. This is a bold prayer. But we follow a faithful God and he will answer it because he loves you. So let's pray right now. I'm going to keep it really simple and just ask Holy Spirit to bring that revelation. Bring to mind where he wants to make room with you, partner with you in that in your life. So let's just pause. I'm just going to ask Holy Spirit to do that right now. Let's pause and ask him and be still and see what he says or shows or reveals. So Holy Spirit, we're your people. Pause in your presence and ask that you would bring your revelation. Holy Spirit, thank you that you're always at work that we ask in this moment, but we know that you answer in your way and in your timing. And so we stay attuned to that. And we come before you now as your people, and we ask that you would shape us to be a people of grace, a people of generosity. We ask for renewal in this, Holy Spirit. And may you empower us to believe and trust in who God is and to live that out in all areas of our life. 
Father God, we thank you that you are such a generous God, that we actually stand here today because of your generosity, because of the way that you offer yourself first to us. And so we receive that afresh again this morning. And as we hold that with open hands, we ask, show us where you want us to now offer that to someone else in all areas of our lives. And God, may it be for your kingdom and for your glory and for your name to be known because we love you. And we ask this in the power of your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.